Trusting in the Lord brings great blessedness to your life. Find out why next on Daily in Christ. Welcome to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Last week, we shared the first half of a message that I recently preached at my home church titled, In God We Trust 2020. Now, this message is so timely for the troubled times we live in today. But you know, whether good times or bad, the Bible is very clear. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. Last time, in the first part of this message, I shared how we have seen this before. The year 2020 bears a striking resemblance to the upheaval and distress of the year 1968, and how that God has graciously intervened throughout our nation's history during very, very difficult times in response to the prayers of his people. May I say I've heard it said many times in 2020, that these times are unprecedented. That's absolute nonsense. Of course, they are greatly precedented by situations that were far, far worse. We've been through pandemics before. We have been through World War I, World War II. We have been through a bloody civil war. There has been many times in our nation's history where it has been awful, much worse than what we're dealing with right now. And yet, God graciously intervened throughout our nation's history during those very difficult times in response to the prayers of his people. We also talked about there is a solution to all this turmoil, and it is the United States national motto printed on currency here in the U.S. In God we trust. I shared about the background of our national motto and what that means for us today. And then we turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8, which speaks of the blessedness that is ours when we trust in God and not in man. And we talked about some pretty tough verses there in Jeremiah chapter 17, talking about the cursedness of the person who trusts in man instead of trusting in God. We ended last week with the verses in Jeremiah 17 that speak of the cursedness and wretchedness of those who trust in man instead of trusting in God. Well, there's good news. Jeremiah 17 goes on to speak about the blessedness of those who put their trust in God and not in man. And that's where we pick up our message today. In God we trust. Now, in Jeremiah Chapter 17, it talks about the blessedness of trusting God. Look at what it says there in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Now you understand the language of faith in the Bible. Four key words, right? Faith, believe, trust, hope. And they're all not the same. They're different. Different aspects sort of revolve around the same idea. Faith is this idea of putting a confidence in. It's the exercise of trust. 
Trust kind of underlies it all. And that trust is forged in relationship. That's what believing is. You know, you can know the word, but do you believe what the word says? When Jesus says, for instance, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be provided. That's where believing comes in. Then there's trusting. We talked about trust. And then there is hope. Hope is faith in the future direction. In other words, it is faith exercise that the God who takes care of me today is the God who will take care of me when I'm 70, if I live that long, 80 or 90. He is the God who takes care of me every step of the way. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And then verse 8 says this, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. I just love that picture, which spreads out its roots by the river. Instead of a shrub in the desert, which is trusting in man. And will not fear when he comes. In other words, when the heat's on, the stress is on, when it's tough, when you're looking at your banking account and you're freaking out, you're looking at what's going on in your job and your company and going, how are we ever going to do this? You're looking at a pandemic and going, freak out, are we going to get a second wave? Are we all going to die? Relax. Will not fear when heat comes. Heat does come in your life. And will not fear, will not fear when heat comes. Instead of the cursedness of will not see good when it comes. But its leaf will be green instead of, verse 6, inhabiting parched places in the wilderness. And will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Instead of being in a salt land which is not inhabited, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The life of trust in God is singular. You see, if I, it's a lot like turning toward. The Bible often speaks of this in terms of a turning, right? You realize what repentance is. Repentance means metanoia. It is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And fundamentally, the problem is we are trusting something else over here. But you notice my back is toward God. But if, so how do I get away from this? We all, so often we'll talk about turning away from this. The key is actually turning to him. Because if you do, look what's happening now. My back is to trusting something else besides him. The key is change your attention, change your trust in his direction, feed on his word, feed on who he is. Uh, Chet and I were talking this past week, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he was, you know, as a pastor, concerned of the effect and stuff that's been going on even in our own body, the struggle that people are under. And that's happening in churches all across the world. I said, Chet, at some point you got to get off the merry-go-round of counseling with people. Stop it. I said, you need to get back to the fundamentals, the word, discipleship, personal relationship with the Lord, and evangelism slash discipleship. You, you've got to be doing it. 
Jesus didn't call us to go into the world and make counselees. He said, go into the world and make disciples. And I think Satan works so hard to move us from that important task. You know, trusting the Lord biblically oftentimes brings in the idea of God's protection. We need protection all the time, good times and bad. The only difference between good times and bad times is in the bad times, it's more obvious you need protection. But we always need protection from the Lord. Isaiah 50, verse 10 in the Amplified is so good. Listen to this. Who is among you who fervently fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, yet who walks in darkness and deep trouble and has no shining splendor in his heart? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that everything's going to be going your way, driving down College Avenue and every light is green. Stuff's going to happen. And you will have those times in life where you're walking through deep darkness. You can't barely see the next step. Listen to this. Let him rely on, trust in, and be confident in the name of the Lord. And let him lean upon and be supported by his God. The strong word. And this is from the prophet Isaiah speaking to the northern kingdom that was about to face the Assyrian invasion. Was turned to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You're walking in deep darkness. Yes. Oh, this is the same prophet who said, The people who have walked in the valley of darkness have seen a great light. Some of the most... Isaiah is probably my favorite book of the entire Old Testament because of the wreckage of man and how man can screw things up and the beauty of a saving, redeeming God and the the incredible prophecies of the Redeemer. Psalm 62 says this, beginning in verse 5, My soul waits. Sometimes you've got to talk to your soul and say, shut up. Wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is from Him. I know my outcome in and of myself looks bad. But I'm going to put my hope and my trust in You, Lord. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my strength and my glory the rock of my salvation and my refuge is in God. I love that. That is powerful. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. You've got a problem. You've got a complaint. Talk to Him about it. But at some point, you've got to shut up and listen. Because He's talking back. He is speaking. But he wants to hear what's on your heart. I'm scared, Lord. I've got this meeting. I'm really ill-prepared for it. Help me, God. we got to pay this bill. I don't know how in the world we're going to ever be able to do that. What if I get COVID? Pour out your heart to the Lord. That's what the Scripture says. Trust in Him at all times. God is a refuge for us. You know who John Bunyan is, was? One of the greatest Christians of all time. John Bunyan, 
wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, he spent a lot of things as a minister. He went to jail for years. He was unfairly imprisoned. And he writes, Thus therefore for several days I was greatly assaulted and perplexed. What I love about Pilgrim's Progress, and I encourage you to read it, is it's just the guy being gut honest about the journey as a Christian. But it's done in a type of story. I was assaulted and perplexed and was often when I had been walking ready to sink when I went with faintness in my mind, I mean, he was overwhelmed, psychologically overwhelmed, after I had been so many weeks oppressed and cast down therewith, as I was now quite giving up the ghost of all hopes of ever attaining life, that sentence fell with weight upon my spirit. Here it is. Look at the generations of old and see. Did ever any trust in God and were confounded? In other words, did anybody put their hope in God and their lives were messed up? He says, at which I was greatly enlightened and encouraged in my soul. For thus at the very instant it was expounded to me, begin at the beginning of Genesis and read all the way to the end of the Revelation and see if you can find that there was ever any that trusted in the Lord and was confounded. The answer is no, never. I often look to the previous generations. I go out of my way to read what Augustine said, what Wesley said, what Calvin said, what Luther said. Do you know that we're in a 500th anniversary right now relative to the Reformation? It started on October 10th, 500th anniversary. You remember the 93 theses that he tacked on the Wittenberg door with his grievances? That sat for three years. It didn't set. The Catholic authorities were stewing and getting pretty upset. There was a lot of debate. And finally, they basically said, we can't. In 60 days, recant. And if you don't, you will be destroyed. And as soon as that edict went out, they were burning his books in the public square. He was in big trouble. And the 60 days came and went. And at the Diet of Worms, he said, if I live, I live. And if I die, I die. But how can I deny this? This is the man who wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A bulwark never failing. I see what Martin Luther went through and What I go through is child's play by comparison. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to help your faithful servant through as he looked to you, trusted in you through difficult times. I could go down through many people, many lives. How about John Wesley as a young man? He's on a boat and they're in the Atlantic and they get hit with a storm. And I'm telling you what, the storm was so violent, even the sailors were panicking. You know, it's like being on an airliner and it's pitching and doing the thing, and all of a sudden you're seeing the flight crew panic. That's, that's not good. And that was his situation. But he noticed that there were some young Moravian men that were there in the boat with him, and how calm they were. Well, they survived the storm by the grace of God. And afterwards he asked them, how could you be so calm? And they talked about trusting in God. And that was instrumental 
to leading John Wesley to Christ. And do you know that John Wesley was one of those key people in England who ushered in the first great awakening of a revival that saved England, that kept away slavery, that made possible the United States? Your trust in God speaks volumes to people around you. In other words, you will never mess up your life by trusting in Him. It may seem in the natural foolish, but it's not. Just the opposite. He will protect you. He will guide you. He will take care of you. He will equip you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We know this one, right? And again, I don't know why I ended up in the Amplified in this, but I love what it says. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. And do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge Him. And He will direct and make straight and plain your path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. George Mueller was a great man of God in the 1800s. And uh, before conversion to Christ, he was a pickpocket. If you had money or anything of value, don't show it to George because it would disappear. He was so mightily saved that God changed him from a taker to a giver. And he had such compassion on the the orphans in the streets of England that he started orphanages. And at the peak of that ministry, six There was enough capacity to handle 6,000 children simultaneously. Not once did he ask for a single dime. He trusted God. And here's what George Mueller had to say. Listen to the voices of the past. He's being interviewed by a minister. He's 92 at this point. You have always found the Lord faithful to his promise, Mr. Mueller. Always. He has never failed me. For nearly 70 years, every need in connection with this work has been supplied. The orphans from the first until now have numbered 9,500, but they have never been without a meal. Hundreds of times we have commenced the day without a penny. But our Heavenly Father has sent supplies the moment they were actually required. There was never a time when we had no wholesome meal. During all these years, I've been enabled to trust in the living God alone in answer to prayer for $7.5 million. That's back in the 1800s, folks. That's like trusting God for billions today. We have needed as much as $200,000 in one year, and it has all come when needed. No man can ever say, I asked for a penny. Besides our financial responsibilities, suitable helpers have to be found constantly and suitable places provided for hundreds of orphanages constantly leaving the homes. Then our funds run very low. Only the other week, we had come nearly to the end of our supplies. I called my beloved helpers together and said to them, pray, brethren, pray. Can you imagine hearing George Mueller say, pray, brethren, pray? Immediately, $500 was sent to us. Then 1000 in a few days. 7500 came in. Now listen to this. But always, we have to be praying. Always believing. Oh, it is good to trust in the living God, for 
He hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. Expect great things from God, and great things you will have. There is no limit to what he is able to do. Praises forever to his glorious name. This is a 92-year-old, shriveled-up old man. He's seen a few things. I have praised him many times when he sent me 10 cents, and I have praised him when he sent me $60,000. In the same interview, George Mueller reached in his pocket and he pulled out this little coin purse that was old, worn out, and he handed it to the minister who was interviewing him. And he said, there, you have all that I, that I own. And the minister opened it up and there was just a few pennies. Yet millions of dollars flowed through his hands in the kingdom of God. I want to end with two thoughts that are very, very important. And I'm going to wrap. There are two, the Bible talks about two rising kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, and then there is the kingdom of Satan. And the Bible makes very clear that there will come, if he's not already here, he will be here soon, an antichrist. You realize that the word antichrist is the Greek word antichristos. And it isn't to say anti is actually an incorrect translation. We think of anti as against. Satan's too refined to do something that would be blatantly against Christ. Anti means before. It means before Christ. It's an instead of Christ. So the way Satan gets our attention is he knows we need saving. So he has his, his own savior. This is the Antichrist. This is a man who will emerge, a man of peace, he will be well at handling a crisis. He's going to capitalize on fear. You know, many people today are promoting scare tactics and conspiracy theories. But the Lord says in Isaiah 8, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people calls a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Then the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow, meaning worship. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. There is a conspiracy going on, folks. It's the conspiracy of the ages. It is Satan. And a malevolent plan that is at work on the earth. It's been here since Jesus left. The Bible says in 1 John, the spirit of Antichrist. And there are so many things that are interjecting themselves to try to solve the problem without Christ. I'm going to tell you something Ultimately, that's dangerous and deadly. I don't care if it's coming from the Republican camp or the Democrat camp or wherever else. And probably the most sobering thing that I can say about this, for three and a half years, the Antichrist will be the dream. He will be the answer. The Israelite will get along with the Palestinian and the Arab and uh, blacks with whites. He'll do amazing things. He'll be an incredible man of peace. The world will be swept up. He's incredible. And then he'll be assassinated three and a half years in. And then an incredible thing happens. He will apparently miraculously raise from the dead. And at that moment, every demon in hell will be unleashed. And he will seize power. 
and he will not be stopped for three and a half years. The world will be swept up in his government with no way out. We are heading that way. We are very close to that day right now. 1947, the reformation of Israel started the sequence of the end time clock. We must be very careful of these voices that would interject with a solution that leaves out the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus sternly warned us in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, listen, even the elect. The deception of Satan will be so powerful that even Christians will fall for it, if possible. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of sa- working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Now, God is not a deceiver. He's not a man that he should lie. But if you look at the beginning of the book of Job, you can see this dynamic. Satan wants to go after Job. And God lifts just maybe a finger. Satan goes through. That's what happened to Pharaoh as well. A strong delusion, not weak, strong, that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We are in a day of incredible deception. It has got nothing at all to do with politics. It's way beyond that. Look, Satan is perfectly happy to put on a Trump hat. And then he's really happy to put on a Joe Biden shirt, whatever. He doesn't care. He wants you away from God. Because when you're facing toward man, your back is to God. And that's a mess for you. You know, the shrub in the desert, not that kind of thing. That they should believe a lie. But there is a rising kingdom. And that's the kingdom of God. And at the end of the Bible, it talks about him coming with a white horse. And what is written upon him is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is a king, not a president. He's not elected or re-elected. He has been chosen from before the foundation of the world by his father. And there is no removing him. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He rules over all. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dripped in blood. Some of the language of here you can see made its way when um, uh, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And then it says of the other kingdom, the Antichrist. And the Bible refers to uh, the Antichrist as the beast. A similar language in Daniel. 
And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, that were dragged in with his deception. And the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse. Man, that's foolish. It's like Mussolini dropping bombs on the Ethiopian warriors on their horses. Mussolini had such incredible superior power, he loved dropping bombs on those white horses and watching them go red. It's an overwhelming, why would you fight against the God of the age? That's foolishness. Gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. God is our trust. We need to remember a prior generation and an earlier testimony from the scripture and history. In God, we trust, not the government not the president or the Congress or the Supreme Court. Why should we trust in God? Because he is infinitely good. He loves us. He is our strong defender, our rock, our fortress, our provider, our all. September 11th, 2001. Many of us remember where we were. We're old enough on that day. Me, I was a radio station manager. I had been home because I had a doctor's appointment, and then I found out what was starting to happen in, in our country. And I remember I was driving to the radio station, and I was listening to the news report as the first tower was collapsing. I heard Dan Rather describe it like a, like a, a candle that was melting down. And as I was driving, and I said, Lord, I've never been in a situation where I've been as a broadcaster or anything in my life, really, where, where someone's declared war on us. It's essentially, that, that act of aggression was an open declaration of war against the United States. What do I tell your people? And immediately this phrase came into my mind from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And you know, as I got to the station and we did different things that were news related, we brought in a Christian network to bring some injection of a lot of leaders. It really turned out to be phenomenal by the grace of God. Over and over and over and over and over again, I'm hearing these national leaders, Psalm 46, Psalm 46, Psalm 46. It's a short psalm. I want to end on this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, We will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
Come and behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The psalmist was so terrified at the beginning of the psalm, but listen to what he says at the end of the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let's pray. Father, I know that this word is meeting all of us in varying degrees of serious need. And I thank you, Lord, that the story is not changed. You are the same God who in ages past has been so faithful to help. When your people have turned toward you away from their idolatry and their trust in other things and cried out to you, Lord, you have been so gracious not only in their lives but in the lives of nations, including this United States of America, to move And so, Father, I'm absolutely convinced that there are millions of Christians around this world that are so praying as we're praying right now. Lord, we are sorry for turning to anything else as a substitute for you. And so, Father, we turn to you. We put our hope and our trust in you. Thank you for the way that you have helped us in our lives, moment by moment, who have delivered us, who have helped us, have healed us, who has provided for us, who has blessed us. You are the God of all blessing. And Father, I thank you that you are no respecter of person or place or time. You are the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Father, I pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do it again, God. Do it again as you did in England of old when it was rotting from the inside and you brought the first great awakening. Or after the first, uh, the, the, the American Revolution when you brought the, first, the second great awakening. Or the succeeding revivals that happened in our land. Oh, God. You are faithful. You are great. We pray that you would be glorified, that your name would be lifted above all, that the gospel would go forth with effectiveness and power, and that lives would be changed. People would be sealed, uh, saved, and delivered in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the concluding part of a message that I preached just a couple of weeks ago at my home church called In God We Trust 2020. And with a critical election here in the United States just days away, this message is needed now more than ever. By the way, speaking of the election, if you're registered to vote here in the United States, please get out and vote on Tuesday, November the 3rd. And if you're not registered to vote, even though you are eligible to do so, please take care of that now so that you're ready to go in the next election. Every Christian must vote, and they must vote according to what God says in the Bible, no matter what particular party or candidate has to say. Let me be blunt. 
One of the biggest tragedies of our day is the legalized murder of babies in their mother's womb. I know that's not politically correct these days. Too bad. I'd rather do what God says. According to the Guttmacher Institute, the number of abortions performed is around 800,000 a year. Now, to give you an idea of how significant that number is, that's like wiping out the entire population of Indianapolis, Seattle, or Denver in a single year. So what is God's viewpoint on abortion? Well, it's crystal clear in the Bible. There is absolutely no doubt. Proverbs chapter 16 lists seven abominations in the sight of the Lord. And one of them is in verse 17. It says, hands that shed innocent blood. I cannot think of anyone more innocent, more helpless than a baby in her mother's womb. And as long as this Holocaust continues, that should be priority number one in every single election. Now, I've heard some people say, well, you shouldn't be one party. Let me ask you a question. When slavery was raging in the United States, wouldn't you make it the number one issue? Or let's say you were a German citizen during uh, what Hitler was doing. Would you not make the Holocaust and what he was doing against the Jewish people priority number one? Of course you would. And this situation is even worse. You know, one of the major parties in this election, and I'm going to be specific, the Democrat Party, has long had in its party platform the continued legalization of the murder of babies in their mother's womb. The other of the major parties, the Republican Party, has written into its party platform the protection of the unborn. The United States Supreme Court handed down two major rulings where they declared that a class of human beings are not persons under the Constitution. In other words, there is a class of human beings, according to the United States Supreme Court in these two terrible decisions, that do not have constitutional protections like you and I. What were those two decisions? In 1857, there was the infamous Dred Scott decision, which ruled that black slaves were not persons under the Constitution. They had no constitutional protections whatsoever. In fact, it went further and ruled that the slave is chattel, meaning the property of the slave owner, to do with whatever they want in any kind of inhumane fashion. The Dred Scott decision was abominable. It was wrong. And Christian people stood up against that evil, not only in the next election, which was in 1860, electing an abolitionist by the name of Abraham Lincoln, but also to the point of shedding blood to protect the lives of the black slaves. The other abominable decision was in 1973, the infamous evil Roe versus Wade decision, which again declared a class of human beings, in this case a baby in her mother's womb, as not persons and protected by the Constitution of the United States. That means that the mother can do whatever she wants with that baby. 
as a result of that satanic decision, and they were driven by Satan, I want you to understand the Bible says there are two wisdoms in the world, only two. There is one that is from above, which is peaceable, righteous, and pure, and there is one which is from below. And that so-called wisdom from below is earthly, sensual, demonic. That's in James chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. There's no doubt that the United States Supreme Court, both in 1857 and in 1973, were driven by Satan. That came straight from hell. It didn't come from God. Do you know that as a result of that wicked Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, 61 million babies have been brutally murdered in their mother's wombs? And that's way more than the combined population of the top 50 cities in the United States. 61 million. Now, I want to let you know that if you have had an abortion, or maybe you convinced someone else to get an abortion, you were deceived by the devil. But I want to let you know that there is forgiveness through the sacrifice and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for full remission and forgiveness of all your sins, even the wickedness of abortion. And it's all because of God's goodness given freely by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for you. And you must turn away from and forsake all support of this sinful abomination known as abortion. Now I want to talk about this lie from the devil called pro-choice. There is no such thing as pro-choice in this matter. What a stupid thing to say. If the person whose life is brutally murdered by abortion, how can anyone say, I'm pro-choice? No, you're not. You're, you're killing the life of a baby. What about the baby's choice? What about that human being's choice to live? If the person whose life is brutally murdered by abortion, then how can anyone say, I am pro-choice? I'm going to tell you, if you believe that, Satan has deceived you, and you are in grave danger. That's like a person saying, well, I am personally against rape. However, I am pro-choice for rapists to rape if they choose. What? What about the woman's right to not go through that? Or how, what, what about the person that says, well, I'm personally opposed to murder. However, I am pro-choice for murderers to murder if they choose. The so-called pro-choice position on abortion is the same Satan-driven, Satan-deceived nonsense. Every Christian must do all they can to oppose the sinful abomination of abortion. It is for reasons like this that we must vote on Tuesday, November 3rd, according to what God says in his word, the Bible. Let's pray. Father, when I think about the great evil of abortion and how much blood has flowed because of 61 innocent babies being brutally torn apart in their mother's womb, which should be the safest place on earth, Father, I realize how deep and dark is the deception of Satan. Because the 
normal instinct, Father, for a mother is to protect the baby in her womb, not kill it. Father, forgive us as a nation for this wickedness of abortion. Father, for this reason, I pray for a mighty revival to sweep across this land where people would be made born again through the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would repent of their wickedness like abortion. And Father, may this evil be stopped in the name of Jesus, just like the evil of slavery was stopped in Great Britain without war, but because of revival and the first great awakening. Father, thank you that we can turn to you in trust. Even though the day is dark, Lord, we put our hope and our trust in you. We look to you, God, as the source of all hope, the source of a brighter day. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friend, the Daily in Christ podcast is available worldwide on every major podcast platform. And if you're not sure how to get the podcast, maybe you're listening to this uh, by playing it from the webpage today at dailyinchrist.org. You can find out how to get the Daily in Christ podcast. Even if you don't know what a podcast is, there's a page there that explains what it's about. Visit our website at www.dailyinchrist.org dailyinchrist.org That's dailyinchrist.org I'm Mark Van Oos, Bible teacher and host. Always remember what it says in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him.